Hello, my name is Neil Govia, uh, and I'm a director at the CFA Institute. Uh, I'm in Hong Kong today at the 71st annual conference of the Institute. My guest today is Steve Eisman, uh, who's most famous for predicting the 2008 financial crash. Uh, this was written up in a book, obviously known as The Big Short. Uh, the book then became a Hollywood blockbuster movie, uh, also by the title of The Big Short. Steve, it's nice to see you here today. Thank you. So, first question, a bit of a softball, I imagine, is we've read the book and we've seen the film. Uh, do you think the film accurately reflects you know, the years leading up to the 2008 crisis? Uh, the book is very accurate. Okay. The movie is accurate in terms of the crisis. You know, some, of my, some aspects of my personal story were changed. Okay. But um, it, get the, it got, got the big issues correct. Okay, so 10 years now later, if you were to look back with, with hindsight, in the run-up to 2008, what do you now find most remarkable that allowed it to happen? I mean, it's hard to say what was the most remarkable. There were so many things that okay. were remarkable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, if I were to, you know, if I were to say the financial, what was caused the financial crisis like in a paragraph, it would be uh, the enormous growth in leverage in the shadow banking system from 1997 to 2007. That would be one. Number two would be the big asset class that blew up, which was subprime. Uh, number three would be the fact that systemically important firms actually own the asset class, which okay. is a story in and of itself. And then the fourth would be the role of how credit default swaps tied balance sheets together. So no one particular thing. No yesterday. one particular thing. It was all four. Like a perfect storm coming perfect, together. A perfect toxic brew. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, let's hope it won't be repeated. Um, one of the things that uh, I've heard you say before is that incentives trump ethics every time. Um, so... Here we are at the CFA conference, where obviously ethics is pretty important to us. Do you think things have changed? Obviously, regulation has changed, but do you think behavior has changed? And are we seeing now more ethics? People don't change. People are people. Yes. You know, if you pay people to originate loans into the ocean, they'll fill the ocean. Right. Um, so the difference is just that the industry is much more regulated. So, okay, so regulation stops people doing um, maybe what they do. So the banks are more frightened by the laws and the fines they've played rather than from any behavioral change to just, I don't know, look after society in a better way. Well, people who own, run banks are incentivized to increase ROE. Yes. Um, if that means in, in underwriting and selling a whole bunch of subprime mortgages, they'll do it. Okay. And if the regulator says you can't do that, they won't do it. So it's not more complicated than that. Okay, okay. Um, so let's just touch on leverage, because obviously, you know, as you said, that's one of the four stories there. Uh, are you still favorably inclined to bank stocks? I have been this bullish on bank stocks since the 90s. Okay. Um, think of this math. Let, let's use Citigroup, which is a stock that I own, okay. but it's just one. Um, so pre-crisis, Citigroup was levered 35 to 1. It had an ROA of 1.15%. So multiply the ROA times the leverage, you get an ROA 35% plus. Okay. Fast forward to 2016-17, the ROA, because of more regulation, vocal rule, lower rates, 
The ROE has gone from 1.15% to 80 basis points. The ROE has gone from 35 to 1 to 10 to 1. So the ROE is 8%. Yes. And nobody wants to own Citigroup. What I think is going to happen is because of lower taxes, higher rates, a reformation of the Volcker rule, the ROA will go from 80 basis points, let's say, to 100. And the leverage will go, let's say, from 10, 10 times to 14. Okay. So the ROE is going to go to 14%. So we're going to go from 8% ROE to a 14% ROE. That's a 75% increase in ROE. There's so, no sector in the S&P, period, end of story, that has the potential for a 75% improvement in ROE. Okay, so is there an irony here that uh, 10 years ago it was leverage, which uh, was going to sort of hurt the banks, and obviously you know, that's where you came into the picture. But today, increasing leverage is what's attracting you to bank stock. Yes, that would be ironic. Uh, <laughs> however, there's a difference in degree. Right. You know, by, by before the crisis started, we're levered 35 to 1. Today, we're levered 10 to 1. Okay. So, is the world less safe if, if Citigroup's leverage goes from 10 to 1 to 14 to 1? Yeah, on the margin, it's less safe. Is it a calamity? It's not a calamity because 14 is still a lot less okay. than 35. So, but that's the direction that we're moving in. Okay. So obviously banks, you know, through regulation have had to delever, but globally the world seems to be more levered now than ever before. So do you see risks at the global level of simply over leverage? I mean, it depends where. I mean, I mean, the place that people like to point out is that governments are now too levered. So there are two yeah. areas that are more levered. There's corporates. Okay. Corporates are more levered, there's no question. And governments are more levered. That's also true. So let's start with corporates. Yes, corporates are more levered. So in the next recession, there'll be more corporate defaults. And is that a financial crisis? No, it's not a financial crisis. It's, it's a people who own bonds will lose money crisis. Um, people who own bonds sometimes lose money. It's not the end of the world. Um, you know, with respect to deficits, you know, I'm sort of, I have my doubts about how much government deficits really matter at this point. You know, the pe like I said on stage before, the people who have argued about government deficits are making the same argument for 30 years. 30 years is a long time. Yeah. So, you know, people who argue that government deficits are a problem, I think the onus is on them to prove why now it's a problem. Because they've been wrong for 30 years. Like I said, 30 years is a long time to have a thesis. Okay. Um, obviously, you know, one of the huge impacts, you know, of what we know about was the U.S. and uh, Europe. A Asia PAC was less touched by it, but now we're seeing, for example, in India, non-performing loans defaulting now up to above ten percent. Yes. So, do you think, you know, as I don't know, as a global investment community, there's amnesia, and uh, one one part of the world necessarily doesn't learn from another part. So, could it be repeated elsewhere? Yeah, but do you the think? Indian banks aren't that levered. Right. Okay. So. You know, I haven't done much in India in a long time. Um, India came through the financial crisis as well as any country. Um, but the Indian banks are, will there be losses in Indian banks? I'm sure. Is this a calamity? Probably not. Probably not. Okay then. The, um, your hedge fund is long short, I believe. And obviously we're coming out of a period of very, very low interest rates. Yes. How will this transition actually impact, do you think, on the investment skills or the sorts of investments that people have to start undertaking? Because it's been so long now that many investors will only know the one environment. Look, low rates has caused assets across multiple asset classes to go up. 
So you know, hedge funds have underperformed for years because their shorts have all gone against them. Right. Now I think that in a world where rates are higher, there's going to be more volatility. And so long short will gradually come back into vogue. But it'll be gradual. Um, but the, there are more opportunities today to do long short than there have been in a long time. Okay. And um, probably because of the low interest rates, so much money's been sucked into passive funds and ETFs. So where do you think the greatest opportunities will lie uh, for active management, given maybe the higher interest rates? Where do you see this and that's happening? That's another facet of what I just said about long short. Right. Okay. I think one of the reasons why active management has underperformed passive management is again a function of low rates, where it's very hard to make capital allocation decisions when rates are zero. And so with rates going up, it'll be easier to make capital allocations. And I think you'll start to see gradually active management do better. Do you see, I mean, we're in Hong Kong today. Uh, do you see opportunities in this part of the world? I, it's not that I don't see opportunities. Um, it's that I like to sleep at night. Okay. I'm dead serious <laughs> about that. Yeah. So, you know, one of the problems that I used to have when I was running my hedge fund, which was global, was that if I woke up at three in the morning, I'd always be tempted to look at my portfolio, see how I'm doing. And every time I did that, I right. couldn't go back to sleep. Right. So of course. I, I just today do U.S., Europe, and Canada. But that's more a function of me personally. It's not an indictment of Asia in any way. Okay, okay. So, you know, you mentioned that you'd wake up in the middle of the night and check out your, uh, your own portfolio. How are we doing in China? Well, you know, sort of how that would do. Do you think there's a problem globally with maybe underfunded pensions? Um, is that an issue? Because, you know, the U.S., you have the 401k. That is definitely an issue. Yeah. It's a very long-term, complicated issue. Um, it's such a massive issue, I, something I can't get my mind around <laughs> it, but I, I don't know what to do about it. Do you think it's a government rule? Or it's, well, I mean, it's very much, you know, there's, there's certain states in the United States, like Illinois, that have real problems okay. with it. Yeah. Um, I don't know how that's going to be resolved. So, I mean, it's an issue, but I don't, I don't know what to make of it. Okay. So, I mean, at the moment, obviously, you know, many things are happening globally. Uh, you know, we've got Korea, we've got maybe a trade war taking place. Um, how do you think these will impact maybe on the U.S. Uh, positions? You know, do you think the, tra the trade war, whatever, will damage or will benefit? Oh, obviously, if there's a trade war, it'll hurt. Yeah. Um, at this point, my feeling is that there won't be a trade war, but I wouldn't stake my life on it. All right. Okay. So what about probability? I don't know. So what <laughs> I just said. Like I said, all I'll say is I won't stake my life on it. All right then, okay. Uh, I've heard you say before as well that, you know, having gone through the one big short in 2008, you're certainly not looking for another. Uh, but how many years out do you think it's likely to be before there is another crisis? It won't be the same one. Um, well, like I said, there's a difference between risks and losses yes. versus systemic risks and losses. Yeah. And I, right now I don't see systemic issues, I see potential issues. So, you know, like I said, when the next time there's a recession, There'll probably be problems in the corporate bond market. Um, there might be problems in the commercial real estate market, but that's just losses. I don't okay. see the systemic. Uh, I was listening to you earlier on, and uh, there was a comment you made about, you know, Warren Buffett said, uh, "Follow your passion," and your response was, "Follow your attributes." Right. So, a personal question: What attributes um, do you have have made you successful so in what I'm, you've done? I'm very intellectual. Um, 
Although not enough detail to be a lawyer, you but said. I'm not detail, <laughs> but I'm not detail-oriented. Right, okay. So being a money manager, that, that place, that's a, there's, there's, you could do that business with that, those type of attributes. Right. You can't be a corporate lawyer. Right, okay then. Um, I was an accountant once, but uh, I like and I couldn't the, be an accountant I, I, I like the detail, so uh, <laughs> that's the difference there. And uh, the, the last thing I just want to pick up on, you mentioned that your reading is comics. Uh, and comics might predict That's things. That's not the only thing I read, no. but it is one thing I read. Uh, okay, so um, if there was one comic you think is the best predictor of uh, maybe the, where we should put our money, what would you say it is? Oh, I don't you said you had 8,000 comics use, or something 8, on your 8,000 comics is yeah. a lot of comics. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just find that the, if you read comics carefully, you, you get a real feel for where the culture's going. It's oh, not right. a, a stock predictor, right. it's a good culture predictor. Okay, well, I will start reading comics. I don't think I've ever <laughs> done them before. So, Steve Eisman, thank you ever so much for your time You're very today. Welcome. Uh, have a safe flight home. Thank you. And very kind and great to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you. Copyright 2018, CFA Institute, all rights reserved. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.